Buenos amados hermanos, compañeros y compañeras. Ustedes saben y ustedes reconocen que son puertorriqueños, ¿verdad? ¿Verdad? Ahora, vamos a enseñarle a esta gente ahora que nosotros nunca los olvidamos que seamos boricuas. Sigues amados hermanos Que viva la isla de Puerto Rico En mi corazón Me siento bien orgulloso de amados hermanas Compañeros y compañeras Que Puerto Rico es nuestra isla Y nunca se olvide de eso, ¿entiendes? Imagínate, mira esa música tan bonita Mira para allá Música criolla, boricua. Ah, ahora tengo ganas de comer un plato, un buen plato de arroz y habichuelas. Ay, bonito, me encanta la música puertorriqueña. Me encanta. Ahora mismo estoy pensando en esa isla tan bonita. Las palmas de coco, el chunque, ay, la, y el mar. Y las mujeres, ay, Dios, tan bonitas que son esas aquí. Crituras. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Song Mess. My name is Richard Villegas, and uh, we are uh, still in New York City having some incredible interviews, talking to some wonderful guests, um, and uh, today we're feeling the Boricua spirit up in the building. Um, right now we're listening to a song by the Ghetto Brothers. It's called Viva Puerto Rico Libre. Um, we're going to wrap up the song, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by a very special guest.
And we're back. And joining me at this uh, beautiful little Bushwick Cafe today is uh, Nicole Morales, a publicist extraordinaire, uh, Boricua hasta la cepa. <laughs> you know, how you doing, girl? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Oh, yeah, and this sounds great. So, woo, <laughs> awesome. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's a hot-ass day in August. And, oh, my God, uh, sweaty as hell. <laughs> not as hot as that gentleman that just walked in. <laughs> hey. Um, hot boy summer. Oh, hot, hot girl summer. And what was it about boy? There was a boy one. There Maybe. was a boy one. It was hot boy. It was hot, so, yeah. It's and like then ex- I don't classy know. boy summer or yeah. some shit like that. <laughs> I don't remember. Whatever. Pretty boy. Um, mm. But... I think that was up. Maybe. Who the hell knows? Um, but again, we're here to talk to you about uh, some musica, about who it is that you are and what is it that you do. And so let's start there. Who are you and uh, what is it that you do? Um, I'm Nicole Morales. Um, I grew up in Jersey. I'm a Jersey Rican, like Frankie Rui. Oh, right. <laughs> um, but um, I've been working in the music industry, doing PR, marketing, events, uh, like producing events. Um, for like over five years. Um, before that, I was doing like music journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard knows this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've been doing that. Um, I work. Um, I work with Prima Fund, which is a nice little nonprofit started after Hurricane Maria. Um, and that's just like a nice passion project that we all contribute to. It was Absolutely. started by Buscabuya and Annie Coldero. Um, and what else? I mean, I used to work at National Records. Um, I was publicist there. I've been really fortunate. Before that, I worked as a in a PR agency, and I I've been really fortunate to work with some amazing people. It's just been really cool. Absolutely, and like super I mean, fun. You know, Songmas has become a lot of pretty heavy on artists, which is cool and incredibly fortunate. And I, I love that people give me the time. But like, you know the industry is so much more than that and like I love talking to like journalists and publicists and label heads and festival organizers because it's like it again it, it's a it's a it's a bit of insight mm-hmm. into just behind the machinations you know absolutely a lot happens between you discovering an artist and hearing a, a song you yeah know? that's where I come in <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, so what you know for again for the for the listener at home that maybe doesn't know uh, what does a publicist do so essentially um, and this is like how I explain it to my parents who still sometimes don't know what I do mm-hmm. um, oh, fair um um, essentially, anytime you read anything about an artist that you love, you discover, you know, you might read a Rolling Stone article, you might, you know, see an interview with them in the news, see them perform on a late night show, a publicist made that happen. Mm-hmm. Like that is, there are people who are interested, but a publicist really pushed that to the forefront of people's attention. Um, and essentially, um, anytime you read like an interview and it's like a nicely crafted narrative and you remember like a great story about mm-hmm. a record, publicist wrote that nine times out of 10. I mean, I like, <laughs> there, there are times that like, you know, I've been kind of saved by the publicist because it's just like, you know, I'm, I'm having a hard time defining something or, or sort of figuring it out, figuring out, figuring out what, what is the word that I want to use Absolutely. here. And, and I mean, that's your job, right? Yeah. It's to convey, to contextualize this. Yeah. It's um, persuasive of writing and you know the hope is that you work with artists that align with your own taste and things that you actually like and that's what makes it that's what makes a really good pairing as well like you don't you know I think like everyone probably has 
had like whether it's an artist or publicist like on either side of the coin like someone might have had like a pairing that didn't fit and you really feel it because they don't understand you and you don't understand them and the thing is is to really get someone who understands and is passionate about pushing your project in a genuine way yeah absolutely you want it to be genuine um, it should how, be how long have you have you you've been doing this roughly for five years then, yeah as you said, right? like it'll be like six years actually now um, I was reading a, a really interesting article that was published by the I believe it was the Columbia School of journalism this week and uh, you know again a lot of people in my circle have been sharing it um, I actually just talked about it with Susie Exposito of, of uh, Rolling Stone oh, nice. um, and it was basically th- there was a statistic in there that said uh, for every journalist there's six publicists <laughs> out there um, I believe that <laughs> yeah but also like and they're like and the, again and the writer goes on to say it's like it, that's not even like it's too much there's just so much music dropping every day like there's days where it's like 20 to 30 high profile releases and mind you within my particular field which is quite small yeah oh my god it's so true I mean it's even like that's the thing like you can definitely find someone who's a good fit for you like Mm -hmm. as an artist I'm just like a strong believer of that if you are like pitching yourself to like your dream publicist or your dream agency or your dream label like if they're not a good fit for you or they're not interested in your project, just walk away. You will actually find someone who's passionate, will probably be more grassroots, right. like will actually want to work with you and take the time to do that. Um, I used to work at Tell Your Friends PR agency and there were some artists who were really like, this is my dream agency to be, you know, support, like uh, to be... Um, Sorry, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> it's all fine. Um, this is my dream agency to be, like, you know, represented by. And it's like, you know, no one at the office really vibed with it. Right. We wouldn't make... It wouldn't make sense for anyone to take it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like editors also deal with that. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes a lot of people feel a little sort of, like, boxed in by that. For sure. But also, like, knowing what your beat is, you know, yeah. it, it's important within well, this. Well, that's a good publicist as well, is knowing what a writer likes. Like, you're not just pitching blindly. Like, right. I'm pitching every NPR writer or I'm pitching every Romesca writer. It's right. like, I know... You know, Isabelia likes this. I know Eduardo likes this, you know? So it's like you want to actually, that's, you know, anybody can have an email contact. It's it's about the relationship and understanding the writer. Um, That's so real. Oh my God, that's so real. That's the realest advice I could give to anyone because there's so many people who are like, well, I have an email. And I'm like, cool, but you don't know anything about the writers. You don't know how to approach them. Some people are more casual, some people are more formal. Like, you know, so it's it's really interesting, and yeah, that was part of the conversation that I had with Susie, right? Mm-hmm. It was like because I asked her, I was like, "You're a high, very high profile editor. Yeah. If somebody's pitching you, what is it that you want?" It's like, first of all, like if you don't read the magazine, you probably shouldn't be pitching it because like you don't really know what we're about, and you yeah. know, I mean, like you know, Rolling Stone might be this monolith of mm-hmm. of media. But like her again, vertical is different, yeah, you know. Exactly, it's true. Like you have to understand exactly that. Like even within like mm-hmm. an, an, a media company, like there's so many. NPR has so many different facets. Yes. Like you're pitching, mm-hmm. like the Weekender, you're pitching. You know, Bob Boyle and Tiny Dust is all different. And taking the time to know how to do that, or pitching like Susie, like with the Latin vertical at Rolling Stone, is like you have to know how to do that. It's intense. Yeah. Um, amazing. Well, we're going to be getting into uh, so many conversations about media, about Boricuaness, uh, about like a lot of this really good uh, music we got going on. And I feel like, again, like you got your your. Well, before we start playing new uh, more music, I should say, um, let's talk about the song that opened the the show. I felt like it was like such a great way to set the tone of 
of the vibe, uh, you know, of like what we're going to be talking about. It's a song by the Ghetto Brothers. It's called Viva Puerto Rico Libre. Um, tell me a little bit about this song and why we why we're listening it. To um, today. I love the Ghetto Brothers. Um, they're you know New York collective from like the seventies. I think they only had like one, maybe two records. Um, they were activists. Um, yeah. Incredible. Um, they were pro. Uh, Puerto Rico's Liberation. Were um, they, um, oh God, what's the name of this organization? Young Lords. Yes, were they? They were associated for sure with the Young Lords. Cool. Um, I believe, like, it was, there was a pretty large group, and I think some of the members changed of the Ghetto Brothers, but essentially, some of the members were definitely like Young Lords. It was mm-hmm. that same era of like New York. Um, and just, I love that song so much because just the way it starts out is just, you know, it's so Puerto Rican. It's just like, me da mucho orgullo. Like, it pumps me up for sure. And I think it really encompasses the, you know, the feeling of being Puerto Rican, of just this, like, it doesn't matter if you're from the from the island, like born and raised on the island, or you're of the diaspora. Like it's like something that we carry. It's yeah. a feeling, and I think it's very timely too to see that a lot of the struggles and sentiments that we feel and that we go through still as an island, as a colony of the U.S., you know, is still very very present from <laughs> 40 plus years ago, Absolutely. and even more so than that. Um, so I thought it was a good way to kind of. You know, New York, Boricua. I think it's great. I think it's great. And again, like I, I we're gonna we're gonna get into that a little bit uh, further down the line. Uh, but I want to play some more music. Um, up next, uh, I want to play a song by El Lado Negro. You know, I feel like um, again the U.S. right now is in a weird, scary intense place and a lot of people have have brought up El Lado Negro recently as sort of like this very necessary moment of healing yeah. uh, his music that his music is bringing into their lives um, and so we're going to listen to a song called Todo Lo Que Me Falta uh, tell me a little bit about uh, why we're we're listening to El Lado Negro well today. that's one of the many reasons I love El Lado Negro um, and I love this song in particular too because it features Raquel from Buscabuya oh cool yeah very she's cool. doing the backup vocals um, but I love this song too because it's just really it's like a chill nice song to just really I don't know I it's my like relaxing song <laughs> like it's an it's a nice jam and I think it's just a beautiful beautiful sentiment cool alright so let's go ahead and listen to that now again this is El Lado Negro uh, the song is Todo Lo Que Me Falta and we'll be right back with more Nicole Morales Largas nubes no murieron Caminadas oscureciendo Pedí tu nombre sin retorno Thank you. 
ayer te encontré en pedazos Comí tu ojo con mi párpado Y me decías que no me vayas Porque ahora sé Todo lo que me falta
se siente mal estoy Agradecida de los ojos y de mi voz y de mi vida Un retrato de mi cuerpo y entregadita de la luna Un retrato de mi cuerpo y entregadita de la luna And the second song that we just heard is by Ila Bamba. Uh, I figured it was cool to pair the uh, Elado Negro and Ila Bamba because they were just on tour together. Mm-hmm. Um, and the song is called Rios Sueltos. And I love, I love, is Ila Bamba? I know that she's a, uh, a guitarist, but I wonder if she's also a drummer because I feel like her songs have a very specific percussion. Yeah, I've actually never seen her live, which mm. is, I know, such a mess. Neither Every time I. she's in town, mm. I'm always, I always have something else to do, but she, I know, she always has, like, really intense, like, beautiful percussion. Uh-huh. So I, I feel like she's either, like, a big percussion nerd, like me, like, I love, I love listening to, like, intricate percussion. Um, I know she's based out in Portland, mm-hmm. but I forget if she's, like, Boricua or she's of Mexican descent. And if you don't know, that's fine. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. I know that she's Latina. I just yeah. like I just I, I I just don't remember precisely what the background I is. I don't know. I do know she's based out of Portland, but I'm not sure yeah. from where. I I want to say she's Mexicana, but I could be wrong. Right. Um, well, I mean, again, like I thought it would be appropriate to start with like some indie heavy hitters mm-hmm. uh, because, again, this is what you've been in for a long time. Um, what was your first publicist job? So my first publicist job was uh, I worked at Tell Your Friends. Um, that was um, it's a boutique indie PR firm that's based in Chinatown. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so it's indie, but we do a lot of like legacy acts. So like my first thing that I was working with was like some of my first projects were like I was working with Polisa. 
like Minneapolis, like kind of in the Portishead, like sound range. Okay. Yeah, really cool. Um, and then they were like indie darlings for a while. I think they might have disbanded or they're just taking a break. Um, and I worked with them and also was working, doing like uh, Guided by Voices. Cool. and Yeah. And like Frank Black from the Pixies. Very cool. And then I started getting more into like, okay, well, now that I have the hang of... Oh, and I also did like day-to-day stuff for like Yoko. Oh, no? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh. The one and only, which was a lot of fun. Um but essentially, so then once I started kind of getting the hang of it on my own, I was like, I want to bring on, sorry, I was like, I want to bring on my own like artists and like kind of my own thing. So I started like working with uh, Mashra Layla, which is like a Persian, like LGBTQ band. Really cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, I started working with some like international bands that are like really, really small, like Princess, which is from like Ireland and like Shoegazy. I kind of have, my music taste is like all over the place. Fair. So, and as I feel like a lot of like Latinos are, especially mm-hmm. like we just, we can, our same playlist could be like punk to like salsa, uh-huh. like in the same playlist and that's definitely what's beautiful about our people i know (laughs) so um so i worked with a lot of bands and then i also worked with kitsune and they had a record label and that's actually how i started working with buscawia okay yeah um and yeah i mean i was fortunate enough to work with like really cool stuff and that was like my first job and i learned all the ropes there like i mean everything like from just people skills and relationships and everything I built after that was, you know, I just used, that was my foundation essentially. It was a great place to start, I would say. So at what point do you start working for Nacional Records? So I left, I was like, I want to do more. I started doing like event stuff with Tellier Friends, like Mm -hmm. CMJ and like putting together like events. Um, And I also did like, I worked with Nick Cave when he brought his film here. Okay. Yeah, that was really fun. Um, He did like Q&A at Town Hall and I did like marketing stuff for that. So my background's in marketing, I went to business school for that. So I was like, oh, I feel like I want to like do marketing and stuff so I I, and I also wanted to like work with more artists that I because it was an NDPR firm like I would get denied a lot Mm -hmm. of like working with like Latino bands like I couldn't have too many like ethnic bands which is like a fucked up thing Um, because there wasn't a market for it Um, at the you know which is ridiculous but there's always a market but essentially at the time this was what 2014 2015 there wasn't like a market for it and that's what you know that's what everyone was saying labels everything so I was like well I'm gonna like move on to greener pastures and start working with artists that I love have always loved the scene of music that and even artists that I wasn't really familiar with and like just wanted to work more within the Latino community Mm -hmm. so um, I started working with Nacional um, my first projects were like Mexrosi, which was so much cool. fun. Uh-huh. I know that was so much fun. That was a great way to like start because I got to meet like Camilo, who is like a really big like. He's just like so incredible and such a great resource and always like available and just like too available. I'm like, you're so busy. You're Camilo Lara. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? I know. Sir? I'm like, stop answering my emails at midnight. <laughs> but he was. It was so great to start with that. And I also started working with El Guincho. Cool. Uh-huh. And that was like the first two things I was given. And then later it was like we're gonna do Alex Amwanter. I did. Um, what else? I, oh, I did the Chamanas. Um, mm-hmm. Their album had already come out, so it was like doing like the post-release work. Sure. Um, 
And um, yeah, it was incredible. I mean, I did Alex Amonter. Um, I did Willy Bobble, which was amazing mm-hmm. because I love jazz and working with Eric Bobble was super lit. Like his son, who's like in Cypress Hill. Yeah, 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 yeah. Super lit. So yeah, working uh, Willy Bobble's release was amazing as well because I'm, I mean, it was like um, a... Uh, what do oh my god what do we call those when someone already passed away oh it was a post uh, post-mortem post-mortem or, or, post-humus no, uh, posthumous thank posthumous. you posthumous yes, Post- yes, yes I know I was saying it in my head <laughs> uh, a posthumous record um and it was cool because I'm I mean he's a like a Puerto Rican like percussion jazz legend and then his son is an amazing percussionist for Cypress Hill so being able to work with his family to put out that release through Nacional was really amazing I also work with Adrian Quesada who I love so much who is um, that? so he is he's so busy all the time Bleh. he's doing everything he's based in Austin um, he has uh, Mexican roots he's Honestly, like just an incredible producer. Um, I worked with him for the project Echocentrics, but he's also in Brownout, Black Pumas. Um, he just did the Selena for Sanctuary. He like curated oh. that and he played. Yeah, so he's incredible. Wasn't the Echocentrics with Natalia Clavier? She, yes. Ah. So she's like an unofficial, like floating member of sure. it. Oh, and I worked with Natalia as well. I didn't do her actual release, but we did like a lot of like post release work as Fair, well. Sure. Um, who she's wonderful as well. Um, but yeah, um, I worked with Adrian Casada, and that was also like just meeting these artists and getting to work with them and being in the community in LA yeah. where it's so strong. With, Were like, you based in LA? Yeah, oh, I moved wow. to LA. That's crazy. Yeah, I moved to LA. You know, working at so Nacional, uh, at least in the US, Nacional for a long time has been sort of like the, the big, um, uh, label I say I would say with like all all the Latin American indie mm-hmm. artists yeah you know um, absolutely and I think like there was it was one of the benchmarks of this sort of like Latin indie mm-hmm. I don't want to say boom because gross but you know this Latin <laughs> indie true. wave that's been kind of growing and yeah. growing um, I think another turning point was um, Ruido Fest I would say yeah absolutely um, uh, how have you seen this particular market grow because indie is so hard to gauge just yeah. because it's so weird and it relies so much on like people not knowing about it mm-hmm. um, but like again it's just like you know you have Tomasa del Real playing mm-hmm. which is a Nacional uh, signee playing mm-hmm. on in Coachella yeah you have you know like uh, fucking uh, Elado Negro you know playing with like Galiucci's at fucking yeah. S- 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 Selena for Sanctuary on Central Park you know it's just like it's blowing up and obviously LAMC Mm-hmm. and Ruido Fest and Los Dells. It's like, so this indie tip has really sort of, it's, n- I wouldn't say mainstream yet, but it's really, it's growing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's been interesting even just being in the music industry in general um, and seeing the different growths and different markets or the changes. Mm-hmm. And I would say specifically within the Latino market, it's been really interesting. And I think it would be the most notable growth or I wouldn't even say growth. It's just, it's expanded. I guess right. it's a, gro- a form of growth, but I mean, in the sense of like, it's it's also evolved too. Like the narrative has evolved. There's so many different things that's evolved from it. So I would say like Nacional, it was probably, would, I think we could all agree is like an OG and sure. like curating that um, through LAMC as well, which they own. Um, 
And this like discovery for artists. So even if it's an artist that's based in Chile, like they tap it and say, this is going to be the next big thing. And, you know, and so I do, I would say that Nacional was definitely at the forefront of that. And like you said, Ruido Fest. um, And as well as like, it's interesting because even during LAMC week, like New York becomes a hub for all these Latino acts to come through at that time. And there's this big focus. What I've noticed, I think I would say, and I like, it's a, I don't really have like an up. I can't pinpoint if I have like a love or hate with it. I think it's good in a lot of ways, but streaming platforms, I think, really furthered mm-hmm. this expansion. For sure. And I, you know, I think it's a complicated thing to say whether I like am for or against. I mean, the thing is, I use streaming platforms. Um, and I think most people do in some way, shape, or form, whether that's YouTube or SoundCloud or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel that with music being digitized, and like you said before, there's so many artists creating music. Yeah. There's so much content out there, and there's like endless music to discover. And I think within the Latin market, like it's expanded to a point where, you know, people are experimenting there's like cross-pollination across genres it's like not just one genre people are making their own genres like every moment and I think what's been really cool is these streaming platforms and their rise because I remember when I first started in the music industry it was like a skeptical thing to Uh put your music on Spotify you probably remember that too Yeah. I had artists who were like I'm not putting it on Spotify they're trying to take my music and it was like this like like it was like a skeptical thing now it's like please get me on a playlist Um, we've come to trust them and they've become a way for us to really um, discover music but also support artists in even a minor form um, and I, I, I don't know. I would say that the expansion has taken place um, due to that. And I think also just we've always been here. We've always been big consumers of music. Some of the most important markets have always been like Mexico, Argentina. Right. Those are always markets that if, as an artist of any language, if you make in those markets, you're selling big records. And you're kind those of are, set. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. You don't even have to be like big here. If you have a big hit in like Mexico, it's a wrap. Yeah, it's because the fans are loyal yeah. and people are just starting to discover that. And it's, it's, I mean, it's good, but then it's also people can be exploitive of it from the outside and even within, I guess, inside as well. But I do think it's great. I think people are more curious to learn about our culture, what makes it tick. And that's the hope that, like, from this, like, I don't think that if there wasn't this, I mean, we hate to use the word boom, but if there wasn't this, like, uh, mainstream attention that was drawn to it, there wouldn't be, like, the Rolling Stone Latin vertical. It would have, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so there's good things about that because we can... I can more I can easily find articles to read about artists that I love and it's not like just digging through some like blog in Ar- an Argentina or something it's like I can actually find it on a mainstream blog and that's right. kind of incredible like so I think you know there's always like a good and a bad to things but I do think that um, I think music being digitized honestly is just it's, it's just, again, it's another wave of, of, of exposure. Yeah. Excellent. Well, let's listen to a little bit more music. Uh, let's, let's keep it indie. Uh, I got a song up uh, next by Prince of Queens. Uh, I literally, just a few hours ago, s- sat down with him and Carolina Oliveros of uh, Como Chimbita. Um, and, um, yeah, this is off his uh, Merecutec um, uh, EP. And the song is called Cumbia por las Sombras. Um, what can you tell me about, about Prince of Queens and about the song? If you ever have the chance to see his live show, okay, you have to. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Um, 
a couple months ago, like it was around maybe December, he played like a little show, like a little release for this um, in in Black Flamingo, this little venue in Williamsburg. Yeah. Oh my God. And it was just like the most packed out basement. It was, Richard, you would have loved it. <laughs> it was, honestly, it was such a great show. He's supposed like, to be playing tomorrow, actually. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that's right. It's tomorrow. He's supposed to, yeah, I believe uh, Our Wicked Lady, right? Uh-huh, mm-hmm. the, in the, this rooftop thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I will just say, I, I'm such, I, I always tell stuff this, like they're Combo Chimbita's manager, but we always talk about, I'm like, I love when Felipe has like the mic during the show and he does like his weird voice thing. And oh, God. I'm a, such a nerd for the like, weird shit. So this is like right up that alley. Fantastic. If you like like weird cumbia, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to listen to Prince of Queens. Again, the song is called Cumbia por las Sombras. And we'll be right back with more Nicole Morales.
right. And the second song that we just heard is by uh, Eddie Palmieri, uh, a legendary musician. Um, and the song is called Siecho Palante. Uh, talk to me a little bit about Eddie. Um, Eddie Palmieri is, I would say, probably my hands-down favorite musician of all time. Um, Whoa, okay. Yeah, I, right. I would I would go as far to say that. Um, it was really hard. I wanted to include him because he's such an important part, like an important person to me. Um, but it was really hard to choose one song, and I love this song because it's the ultimate like fuck you track. Like <laughs> like you hate on me, and I'm still gonna be like lit, and doesn't even matter. <laughs> and it's so I just I love that whole record. I love I love Eddie, but I love especially when he gets like he gets like yeah fuck you. <laughs> but um, that track in particular, I think it's you can take it such a number of ways. It could be your own personal growth. Like yes. Or it could just be like for Puerto Rican people, like we're gonna seguir echando palante, and like nobody's gonna be able to stop us. Yeah, I feel like this this spirit of like always palante mm -hmm. um, is 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 a, is definitely a common thread throughout like Puerto Rican music and Puerto mm -hmm. Rican culture. Again, we're gonna even close with a song called Palante. Um, but uh, tell me about like being Boricua. Like, I mean, you know, like again, I'm 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 half Puerto Rican. Um, but I don't really claim it so hard. Like, I've never been to the island. I didn't grow up around my Puerto Rican family. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but I, again, like, especially, like, being Boricua, living in New York City, it's just like, it's not, you're not just Boricua. You're Boricua! You know, yeah. like, there's the parade, the flags, the situation. And I feel like you stand it super hard. I do. Uh, tell, <laughs> tell me tell me a little bit about that. Um, I grew up in a very, very Puerto Rican household. Um, both my parents, my family's from Isabela. Um, I'm first gen. Both my parents were, like, born and raised on the island. Um, and yeah, I was I was born in Jersey, grew up in Jersey. We lived in Puerto Rico for like two years when cool. I was little. Um, I don't really remember it. Um, like maybe like really tiny vague memories. But yeah. I try to go back like I, I like with my family. Um, I still have like my grandfather lives over there. I have aunts and uncles who live. My cousin lives over there. Uh, I have my friends who live over there too. So I try to go back like at least I try to go back every year, but. Um, actually, this year was the first time I went back since before Hurricane Maria. Wow, okay. So that was like the longest I hadn't been in Puerto Rico in like years. So it was it was really great, honestly. It was like a one of those like journey trips. Sure, yeah. One uh -huh. of those like, you know what I mean? Like it was like nourishing for the soul. But uh, being Boricua, I mean, that was always like I... Something I've always been super proud to be since I was little. Um, but it's like, I'm also like a big history nerd. Sure. So And so is my mom and her family. They're all big history nerds. So it was always like, just, it wasn't always just like, okay, cool, like flag waving. It was like, like we didn't go to the parade. Like, I never grew up going to the parade. We would go to like the parades in Jersey, which were like different. It was more like street food and shit like that um then like a big like we never went to the i only went to the new york parade the first time was last year oh really yeah <laughs> i mean why was there something because like i at first when i was when i was younger when i was first exposed to it i was like ugh, like the, the puerto rican one the dominican one just because like i was like that's really intense they're yeah. kind of messy well i'm not a crowd person i'll be honest fair, fair, fair so fair. that's like one thing but i think like also like I I always felt like well I don't need I don't like and the sentiment has changed as well but I was like I don't need to like go to a parade to be like I'm Puerto Rican you Fair. know I'm Puerto Rican all day long 
But going last year was especially like post Hurricane Maria and just feeling like being around like everyone where we're all from the same place. It must have felt very different. It was very different. And it was, I didn't go this year. Like I was like, I don't really need to do that again. But last year was really especially like powerful, like Bonsili Recreation. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you're familiar with them. They're like a puppet. I wouldn't say just puppet, but they're like an artistic like group um, in Puerto Rico, like a collective that does experimental political art and they were walking the parade. So there was a lot of different, it wasn't very like overly corporate last year, whereas opposed to like this year was super shitty and corporate like always. But um, but I guess just being Puerto Rican in general, um, there's always like this fighter like spirit is always like, yeah. is always like even just like, on the island and and not and another thing that's interesting is that through the years like you know being here from from like bo- U.S. born first gen, even like my cousins like family members would be like oh tu eres americana and I'm just always like no and you're just kind of like neither here nor there like you're right. like all I know is being Puerto Rican but then someone tells you like you're American and you're like what and it is I mean I only came to realize that and. I I don't have the same experiences as my cousins on the island who've Absolutely. never seen snow. Yeah. Like who've never, you know, I have a more like open-minded mentality. Like I have more like western I've adapted to more like western things that would be hard to like be without and sure. and it's just a different thing and I think it's it's really interesting. I think though like Puerto Ricans on the island and of the diaspora are like more united um, in recent times like post Maria but especially now in the wake of like Jose Yo like resigning and all of the things that have been going on in the island and off the island um, and it's been really it was it's been really incredible like just having like Jose Yo like resign yeah. was just such a like victory in so many ways like I mean, it was considered treason until, like, the 50s to carry the Puerto Rican flag. Whoa. Like, and that's why the parade exists, actually, because it was considered treason by the U.S. for us to carry our flag. That's why we're such flag wavers. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. And, like, most people who go to parade probably don't know that either, but... Because it's just like it's become habit. Like let's go to the parade, but that's really where it comes from. That's probably where Que Bonita Bandera comes from. Well, yeah, yeah. and we are so orgulloso de la bandera because it was like people died so we could carry this yeah. flag yep. on the island and in the U.S. And you know, and and you know, I think that that's one of the things. So to for us to be like going to the protests and stuff here in New York was just such a beautiful feeling, and just to be surrounded by. This energy just felt like just like historic moment, truly, and just beautiful. Like, I just I can't even explain. Like, capturing that emotion was it was incredible, and I think just the beginning of like the fight. Like, yeah. we were. I think, especially on the island, I even see artists being more political, not just musicians, but like actual like artesano, like being more political and open about their politics, where in Puerto Rico is very, very hush-hush, like to be pro-independence, to be this, like it was very segregated in that way and, and very hush-hush. And now I feel like people are just more, they're going to say what they feel because they've been through enough shit. And yeah. they're, they're like, I don't care. Yeah, I'm pro-independence because I was abandoned when the hurricane hit because I lost my house and nobody cared Yeah, because so-and-so died and nobody gave a shit. I mean, the U.S. did... Nothing. nothing nothing FEMA did nothing. nothing I mean they did more harm than good yeah and you know it was el pueblo mismo se levantó it was p- 
people helping each other out. It wasn't, we didn't have some rescue. It was the people who rebuilt the pueblos, like vecinos helping each other with food and with, and you know, and that's really, that's really the spirit of being Puerto Rican. And I think like we'll see that probably more in the future, more so. And I, I mean, everything is shitty that shitty things have to happen in order for good to come out of it. But I really do think that that's kind of our story. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a story of resilience and that's, yeah. that's consistent throughout culture. It's just yeah. like, and, spe- and like, and especially in the arts, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's musicians like that come from like very little usually, or mm-hmm. like being margin marginalized, uh, within the U S and it's like, right. And, and, you know, and survival and, and, and overcoming it all. Um, again, I, I think you've done a really good job here at covering, uh, uh Maria, uh, Hurricane Maria and, 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 well, and again, and that whole fallout, I want to talk a little bit more about Rosselló, which mm-hmm. is, uh, it's, it's, it's still like, even, uh, even though at this point it's been almost a month since mm-hmm. he resigned, probably a little bit less. And by the time this episode airs, it'll be about two months. Yeah. Um, you know, it's still very fresh. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on what was happening, uh, that basically brought, all of Puerto Rico on the island and in the diaspora out into the streets. Yeah. So essentially, Jose Joe, for those who don't know, is a very corrupt governor. Um, that's he. He is the son of a governor, a past governor who is also very corrupt. Right. Who notoriously sold the telephone company, which really hurt oh. us. Yeah. Which really hurt us, and you know this debt that everyone keeps talking about. That was major piece of that puzzle sure. so he's the spawn of that um, so anybody who knows better knows that he was a piece of shit from the beginning because so many people have made this whole situation about text messages yeah, and, and like that not. was a part of it let's be clear it's not <laughs> not even close it's not, not. Even, like, it's not about you know um, all of the bullshit that he said and right. anti anti-queer anti-feminist like it yeah that just adds it's That's like gross. Harvey Weinstein like <laughs> yeah. you know that was just a, a chip on the whole that was just a piece of the puzzle. Um, really, essentially, was that Jose Joe has been a corrupt governor from the beginning. Um, and I think that this really... Should I wait? Okay. I think that this really... The situation of Hurricane Maria was a catalyst for people to wake up and realize that he has always been corrupt. So he was governor during Maria as well? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he is... You know, essentially, Jose Joe, he is like, I would say, someone who really just has never really had the interests of the Puerto Rican public. Uh-huh. Um, they are anti-LGBT. Um, him and his wife were super anti-LGBT. As a matter of fact, one of the last things they did, we have like an arch in Old San Juan okay. near the Fortaleza that was painted like rainbow. Um, to like you know commemorate like LGBT like rights and things that have passed in the past couple years. Cool. They the last thing that they did was paint it white. That's like how petty they are. They're like and fuck y'all hoes. Yeah, <laughs> fuck y'all we out. Yeah. Great. <laughs> um, so that's just a little bit, but essentially like yeah, Jose Joe is just like was such a piece of trash. Um, he it was so corrupt. He embezzled millions and millions of dollars. Um, and even like the Unidos with Puerto Rico, like all these people, Mark Anthony, JLo, whoever co-signed this nonprofit started by the first lady of Puerto Rico. Uh-huh. Um, 
she that this is the meat of the potato right this here, is kids. the meat Pay yeah attention. this is this is so that i knew from the beginning right. that that was trash and i think that's why organizations like prima fund were created like um why um Tayel Salud was like a resource like i was never gonna give my money for unidos por puerto rico because i didn't trust that administration in the first place right um that came true because um, everyone who donated got their money stolen and they went on vacations and bezeled it. Yep. The other thing is that all of these things that we hear about schools closing in Puerto Rico, it's not because kids don't want to learn and people are pulling their kids out. It's, I mean, there's so many people. I, I have people in my family who are graduating from school to be teachers and they can't get hired because no it's, one's hiring and yeah. they put 50 kids in a classroom and who's going to oh. learn like that? And schools are miles away. It's because Jose Joe stole all this money that was supposed to be for education and ended up closing schools instead so he could save money and put it in his pocket. Um, things like highways to nowhere, things like that. Yeah. You know, um, and just added up to hundreds of millions of dollars. And he had a whole cabinet of people who were aligned with that and who benefited from that corruption. Also, just the fact that, you know, aid was definitely denied to us when we could have had aid because it didn't help his pocket. Uh-huh. And that was all during Hurricane Maria, especially highlighted during then. So these text messages just highlighted what people already had their ideas. There's also like hideous texts by people in his cabinet who were pro essentially genocide of Puerto Rican people by denying us care yeah. by closing down hospitals. Like my Theo died during Hurricane Maria because he could not get the proper medical attention. Jesus. And there's so many cases like that. That's one of thousands. And, you know, he also notoriously denied the death count. It says it's like 64 or whatever. There's almost 4,000 people that died due to Hurricane Maria. So he did nothing good for us. And it was just, it was long overdue. Yeah. And we are so tired. Point. Yeah, and he was supposed to be out already in mm-hmm. like November, something like that. Like his term was already going to be up. They didn't even let him finish. They didn't let him finish because he was like, "Let me finish, let me finish, please." And then he was like, "Big baby, like I'm going to stay here no matter his, what." Because of uh, his uh, what, his pension and all that jazz. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Fuck that guy. So, exactly. He wanted his pension. And I'm like, the pension? And he also, the thing is, the pension is just a, a small piece of it. It's sure. really he wanted to sign horrible things, like, you know, I'm sure more things to kill us and eliminate. Yeah, like, or, or really sell more things. Yeah, sell exactly. Sell more access. And- Absolutely. Like, I mean, I mean, like, kill us, I mean, essentially, like, put the nail on the financial coffin sure. that we already are in. So, he really just that all of the things that he did were just like really were just a big this whole thing was just a culmination of all the evil things that he did and people just woke up and were like I'm tired like get out we don't want you we don't need to be governed by you you're not doing anything good for us you don't have our interests at heart so that is really what happened and in the diaspora as well it's like I think it was like the first time that the diaspora and the island aligned on something. Uh-huh. And people of all parties in Puerto Rico, like people are so very like, it's very radical politics over there. Like people are just like, you're super like pro statehood. You're super pro independence. Like you just can't kind of linger. You have to claim a stake on one side or the other um, or stay as it is a commonwealth. Um, and so you have to stake your claim there. And I think it was the first time that everyone, regardless of party aligned on like a single idea, yeah. which also makes it very historic for us. So it was, it was really cool to see that. Um, yeah, I thought it was 
just incredible. Yeah, that's really, really, really major. Um, I feel like it's time for a little musical palate cleanser. Um, a question, is Epilogio Puerto Rican? Yes. Oh, fantastic. What a great transition yeah. point then. Um, because I, we, super cool. we're closing with a Puerto Rican artist, but I want to leave her for the <laughs> end. Um, so, okay, tell me about Epilogio. I've never heard of them. Epilogio is super cool. I believe they're from San Juan. Um, they're like a cool, like electronic little like indie thing. Um, I, I wanted to put an artist that I think that everyone should know about, um, that I get excited about when I hear cool. their production is super cool. And I think that they don't have just one definitive sound. Um, like you can listen to like this song is from an album that was released last year they released the song like a couple months ago but I, I love this track so much it has so many different transitions and it's really really cool and they're kind of like experimental I love them fantastic okay so again this is Epilogio uh, the song is called Origen and we'll be right back with more Nicole Morales
All right, and so the second song that we just heard is by Jorge Benjor. Uh, it's called Africa Brazil Zumbi. Um, tell me a little bit about this song. Um, I love like samba, bossa nova. I love Jorge Benjor, like uh, like Cantano Veloso. Um, I wanted to pull something, send some love to Brazil mm-hmm. and Amazonia. Yes, it's just it's really tragic, and I can't think about it without getting like massive anxiety and like super like triste like I don't even feel it's one of those situations you just feel helpless but I think that I've never been to Brazil I've always wanted to go but it's dope Oh my god! I know everyone's everyone's like, "What?" No, I I'm dying to go, and I just think it's a beautiful people, beautiful country, and sending all my love to them. Yeah, um, that's crazy. Um, uh, uh, so before we wrap up, I, I, I mean, I I, uh, I want to ask a few more things about you. Um, you work with Prima Fund. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a very important part of your work. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about uh, that partnership. Yeah, so um, I love Prima Fund. Like I was, I mentioned earlier, it started by uh, Buscaboya and Annie Coldero, mm-hmm. um, and it came as a response to Hurricane Maria. We felt like you know people were asking. I think pretty much everyone, Boricuas and allies, were just asking. Where can we donate? What's a real place to donate? You know, I think with all these, like, pray for Paris, all these things that happen, people want to donate and don't really know where, where their money's going. Mm-hmm. Like, we have raices and stuff. But in Puerto Rico, like, everyone's like, well, where do we donate? So, uh, initially, I was donating to Tayel Salud, which is a super legit organization that helps battered women um, in Puerto Rico. Wow, okay. Um, and especially within, like, urban communities. But um, they were, they asked to stop donations because their cargo of, like, shipments and things that were uh, donated from the U.S. were stopped in the airport, as famously happened to almost every nonprofit that asked for donations. Um, And that was something else that Jose Joel did, um, put the tariffs there. So these organizations that collected money or goods, they would have to pay all the taxes for, like, crates and crates and crates of goods, which ends up being thousands of dollars, which means that... It's relief effort, yo. (laughs) Yeah, which means that no one was able... These... The Taller Salud is super small. Um... Anyone should check them out and, and donate to them. They really are a big help in the community. Um, but, you know, but when they said stop sending donations, I was like, shit, what do we do? Um, and I felt kind of helpless. And then one day, Raquel, um, she emailed me and was like, oh, like, you know, we start, me and Annie started this organization if you want to donate. And I was like, yo, like, let's do an event. Let's do a fundraiser. So I just kind of like just got like right and in, involved. And it was, I think it was just such an incredible, like, uh, it was an incredible way to really just feel like not helpless, mm-hmm. like just actually getting involved. Um, and then from then we like, you know, they asked me if I wanted to be like a more of a part of it and I do marketing and social media for them. So whether that's partnerships, um, you know, um, like, you know, trying to get partnerships and get more money and donations. Um, when we do, like we did an event with Chiquita Brujita mm-hmm. last year to commemorate one year of post Maria, uh, like a big fundraiser, um, did things with cult records. And that was like the first thing we did. Um, so we just tried to really, um, incorporate a bunch of different, uh, things. So I work with them and I do mainly like the social media um, and press releases and stuff. So we try to really get the word out there. But essentially Prima Fund is an organization that started for it's Puerto Rico independent musicians and artists. Um, it helps uh, independent musicians on the island mm-hmm. um, to it's, it was started as emergency funds, emergency grants that were given to artists who might have 
you know, lost a gig because of the hurricane, um, who would maybe lost equipment, studio was destroyed, whatever, um, and really help them. So that way people wouldn't feel like they had to leave Puerto Rico in order to create music and still be an artist, which happened anyway. Um, we, it's a way to preserve the culture on the Island and it's, you know, Puerto Rico has a really great independent music scene and, um, like on the Island, but as well, like in the diaspora and unfortunately like musicians had to leave, of course, because I mean, you have to make a living. So we really wanted to try to combat that. Sure. And that's how this started. Well, and Buscabulla, uh, famously and rather controversially moved back to the Island yeah. from, from New York, even mm-hmm. though, you know, Puerto Rico has been going through some real tough yeah. economic times, you know? And it's, a, and I think it's like, that's kind of like, again, that part of that resilient spirit, because they were actually supposed to move back before Hurricane Maria happened stop yeah and it was delayed so it was they already had this plan going um because they wanted to go back and actually there was an article i read um in the new york times i believe it was that was about musicians and artists and creatives Uh going back to puerto rico and even non-creatives actually like people just in different industries engineers going back to puerto rico before hurricane maria um, to try and help the economy over there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they were going to be a part of that boom, like on their own, of just saying, we want to go back to Puerto Rico. And, sure. You know, they were both like born and raised over there. So, I, you know, Leila estaba llamando. So they were like, we want to go back. And they have a they have a child. So they wanted to like raise her and um, have, so she could have that experience as well of shout living out in Puerto Charlie. Rico. Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> shout out to Charlie. <laughs> Super chula. Um, but yeah, so I just think that, uh, when Hurricane Maria happened, it delayed their plans, but they didn't back down from it. So it was really cool to see that. And, uh, even when I went back to Puerto Rico, they have a really cute house and just, you know, and it's a different Puerto Rico, like now, and especially like, you know, I'm, I didn't live over there, like where I could actually like remember it, but even just from visiting, it's a different Puerto Rico, but it's still like, there's nothing like being there. And I can only assume if you were like born and raised there, it's like, that's, that's your home. It's like how like we feel about like New York and stuff. It's like, this is always going to be like a a piece of us and that's home. Like for better, for worse, the neighborhoods change, but this is like still home. So it's like, it's interesting, like, you know, um, but yeah, so Prima Fund. (laughs) Uh, Well, you guys have, uh, um, do, I mean, how many showcases have you done at this point? So they, we have done two New York showcases. Um, this, we just had one in July and it was super great. We had Lisbeth Roman, Uh um, we had Dogos and Negro Gonzalez, Uh and we also had Paola and Mano Santa from Radio Red DJ. Yeah. Uh, which was incredible like I think like it was just such a great and it was in the late like right before Jose Joe resigned too Mm -hmm. it was just like just such a good like energy in the room and you know everyone does it like uh, Gobble from Super Crush and we just have a bunch of like not a bunch it's just a small group of people who are Boricua and just want to just help in yeah. some way support the island and it's pro bono work and it's a long-standing thing that we plan to like continue as long as possible and um we keep finding like allies and people who are like want to help and the new plan because i guess these artists don't really need like emergency grants but they need support and visibility so we try to provide that through our connections in the industry yeah. through events um and giving them exposure in any way we can Amazing. Well, um, 
Uh, I think we're just about to wrap up. Again, my guest is Nicole Morales, again, publicist extraordinaire and just baddie <laughs> of indie. Um, can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Nicole Morales. Um, and my Instagram is NicoleMorales.14, which I desperately need to change my username, but it was just like an on-the-fly thing. But that's that's me. Hey, she works. Um, I will take this opportunity to remind you all that this is Richard Villegas. Uh, from Songmas. Um, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcasting platforms. That is uh, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud. If you want to find us on social media, you can uh, just search us at Songmas. Uh, that's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, if you want to uh, contact us via, via email, uh, reach us at songmasmusic.gmail.com, at gmail.com. Um, and uh, yeah, send us an email. I mean, like, you know, uh, do you want us to listen to like a new song or a new record or a new artist that you discovered? Reach out, let us know, keep the conversation moving, guys. Um, we have a weekly pl- playlist called Bops that I link to in the show notes uh, every single week. Um, and of course, if you want to give us a little love, um, you can go and rate us five stars, please. Um, a little comment or something. Um, and that obviously helps bring the show to greater visibility. Uh, and maybe playlists or whatever algorithms um, <laughs> and obviously if you want to support us financially uh, we also have an online store songmess.threadless.com and you can buy like t-shirts uh, hoodies baby clothes mugs books I'm not even kidding really um, all baby are with our fabulous songmess logo uh, shout out to the friend Phoebe Smolin uh, who I saw this week who yes. had a fucking songmess tote I was like ah Yes. yes. Um, and um, yeah, and the, our beautiful logo designed by uh, the very talented Chilean designer, Osvaldo Ribe. Um, we have one more song, and this was actually my request because uh, we had we, <laughs> we were kind of a song short, and I was like, I really was digging the, the, the Puerto Rican strength theme. Um, and so we're going to listen to a song by Hooray for the Riff Raff, eh, Hooray for the Riff Raff called Palante. This is off their last uh, record called The Navigator. Um, I, you, when I suggested the song, you were like, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, lo- I love this track. I love this album. Uh, I love Alinda. Uh, super lit. Uh, I love this. I remember listening to it for the first time and I was just like, fuck yeah. Like, <laughs> it was just so needed and I think, like, again, like, she's Boricua from, like, the Bronx diaspora. It's just something, it's a sentiment that we carry. I know that she was very inspired by the ghetto. Actually, this is, like, a full circle moment because she was very inspired by the Ghetto Brothers yes. for this record. The young Lords. Yeah, Young mm-hmm. Lords, exactly. So um, this is perfect full circle moment for this playlist. Um, yeah, it was a hell yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Again, my guest is Nicole Morales, uh, publicist, um, music indie lover, Prima Fund, uh, killer. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I'm Richard Villegas. This is Songmas. We're listening to uh, one final song. This is by Hooray for the Riff Raff called Palante. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. Ciao! Well, I just want to go to work, get back home, and be something. I just want to fall in line And do my time And be something Well I just want to prove my worth On the planet earth And be something Well I just want to fall in love And not mess it up And feel something Well lately I don't understand What I am Treated as a fool, not quite a woman or 
Well, I don't know. I guess I don't understand the plan. Colonize and hypnotize, be something. Sterilize, dehumanize, be something. Oh, well, take your pain, but stay out the way. Live at all. 